Hi there and welcome to Voicebox, Public Radio's wonderful weekly exploration of the vocal arts. I'm your host, Chloe Veltman, and I'm very happy to be here with you once again this evening. Song and dance are a pair of art forms that are entirely inseparable from one another. Few composers of the Baroque and early classical eras in Western classical music would have dreamed of writing an opera without including at least one section for ballet, and I defy anyone to sit completely still while listening to a great hip-hop track. But if there's one cultural tradition that really gets into the intimate relationship between vocal music and dance, it's Hawaiian hula, the subject of tonight's show. Hula is a dance form accompanied by chant or song. It was developed in the Hawaiian Islands by the original settlers there, the Polynesians. And with me in the studio to explore the roots, development and technique of this ancient and multifaceted art form is Patrick Makuakani, the director of Na Lei Hulu I Ka Veku, a dynamic Hawaiian dance company based in San Francisco. Patrick is a creative force in the hula world. Hello, Patrick. Thanks so much for joining me this evening. Aloha, Chloe. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. I thought we could get going by having you sing something for us live here in the studio. But before we get to that, can you tell me what does na lei hulu i ka veku mean? Good question. It means the many feathered wreaths at the summit held in high esteem. Wow. And, <laughs> and why name why name your company? This well, hulu or name. feathers mm-hmm. were considered a, uh, a precious object in ancient Hawaii. Hawaiians didn't have gold or silver. Mm-hmm. So feathers were um, used to um, fashion adornments for the chiefs, for their capes, their helmets, and other accoutrements. So they were considered a very valued object in old Hawaii. So the many feathered wreaths, my company, I consider them something very valuable as well. Hence okay. the name. <laughs> Makes perfect <laughs> sense. So can you tell us a little bit about your roots and development as, as a hula artist? Well, you know, I started dancing when I was, I believe, 13 in the mm-hmm. 1970s. And it was a time called the Hawaiian Cultural Renaissance, when a lot of um, young Native Hawaiians were trying to find their voice, their Native voice, their Native mm-hmm. identity. So I actually went to high school. Um, I joined a Hawaiian club to learn Hawaiian music. I did not want to dance hula. Oh, okay. But the instructor said, in this club, you have to sing and dance. And if you don't want to dance, there's the door. <laughs> Where was this? In Honolulu? This or? is in Honolulu, mm-hmm. right. And so I was like, oh, all right, I'll try it out. And <laughs> after two weeks, I was hooked. So it really sort of resonated with me and gave me a, a look into my um, culture, into my ancestry. Fantastic. Well, how about singing a tune for us now, Patrick? Absolutely. What, what would you like to perform? Well, you know, I think this is a very appropriate chant that I will be reciting. It is a what's called an olikahea. So it is a chant requesting permission to enter someplace special. So Fantastic. in essence, I'll be asking you permission to enter the studio. Oh, well, I'm sure it shan't be denied. <laughs> well, it goes like this. Hoon <laughs> 
Now, traditionally, you would have to give me a response to let me enter. So I'm guessing you don't know any traditional Hawaiian chants to let Not me enter. Not a thing. So you could say, come in. <laughs> come in, please. Thank you so much. And thank you. That was absolutely beautiful. Oh, mahalo. Thank you. I was watching your face while you were doing right. that just now. And... Um, I mean, apart from this sort of wonderful beatific expression you had on it, it also seemed like you were using, that your voice box was vibrating. I could see that your Adam's apple going up and down maniacally. That. Can you tell me what's going on there? <laughs> I've never heard about my voice box going up and down maniacally. I like that. Well, <laughs> in Hawaiian chanting, we use excessive use of the vibrato, or what's called in Hawaiian the ee, especially at the end of phrases and lines, you have the opportunity to sort of decorate the tone with that vibrato. Okay, well, it's 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 very strong, and uh, I love it. It's, oh, it really great. goes right to the core. <laughs> Good, I have a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've just joined us, welcome. You're listening to Voice Box with Chloe Veltman. On tonight's show, all about the art and tradition of Hawaiian hula, I'm in the studio with Patrick McCurkani, a hula master based right here in the Bay Area. We just heard Patrick performing a traditional chant. It was called Kunihi Kamona, right? Kunihi Kamona, correct. Kamona, a traditional chant then. So now most people think of hula as being primarily a dance form rather than a vocal music form, but singing is very much part of the hula tradition. Can you explain why so many people focus on the choreographic rather than the vocal aspects of the tradition? Well, I'm, you know, mostly because people do not understand the text associated with the dance. Ah, so mm -hmm. it becomes a sort of visual art form rather than using our senses of hearing as well. So that's why um, when people see the hula, they think that the hula, the motions, the movement vocabulary is really the primary um, vehicle for the story. But it's not the um, text in which it accompanies the poetry mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. uh, the dance is interpreting. That is the main mover of the story. And the movements are offering sort of pictorial gestures illustrating the text or dramatizing it. The text. So did, did hula develop initially as a vocal form or was it a dance art form or did both develop simultaneously? Well, there is no, in traditional hula, there is no hula without the, um, the text. So they both develop simultaneously. Although there is a form of chanting called oli, which mm -hmm. does not um, use dance as an accompaniment. It's just recited exclusively. But hula, mele hula, songs for hula are... Um, always accompanied by dance. Okay, so we have to distinguish then between these two forms, yes. the oli hula. Right. And well, actually, it's just oli. It's just not oli. Yes. Okay, so just oli, which oli, yes. is the hula that is only chant-based with no dance. Actually, it's just chant with no hula, right? So, mm. And mele hula are songs for hula. And hula being the word for dance. Yes, hula being the word for dance okay. or for movement, correct. All right. So tell us a bit about the subjects um, that these early traditional hula chants covered? What kinds of things are the songs about? Oh my God, it's just a wide range of subjects. I mean, mm. everything from the origin of the Hawaiian people um, to the land upon which they live, migrations, genealogy, traditions, customs, love, longing for your lost love, grief over um, someone's death, um, heroic explorations, of course, prayers, um, supplications for divinity. Um, everything from the sacred to the mundane is covered through hula, <laughs> hula dancing and texts associated with hula. Okay. Do you know anything about the very ancient roots in terms of how it sort of developed in its earliest stages? Well, you know, we don't really have that information. We know that hula developed from early Polynesian um, settlers upon the Hawaiian Islands. We don't really have an exact time as mm -hmm. to when it started. And much of the material published um, regarding hula only comes from us 
um, starting in the 19th century. Oh, okay, okay. So it's, yeah, so its beginnings it's, uh, are sort of clouded in a shroud of mystery. Okay, well, nothing wrong with right. that. Let's uh, hear an example of Oli uh, in a moment. Patrick, what should we be listening out for in the track we're about to play, Noho Ana Olaka Ika Uluwehi, sung by uh, Maiki Ayulaki? From Maiki Ayu Lake, actually Lake is the Lake, English, no, okay. But your Noho Ana Olaka Ika Uluwehi was... not bad? Perfect. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, well, this particular chant is uh, called an oli-oli style, uh-huh. or a type of chant that's recited in a joyful, light manner, again, with the, those long, protracted vowels at the mm-hmm. end of the phrase. Um, and it is chanted by a woman named Mikey Ayu Lake, who is considered the mother of the Renaissance of Hula, who became prominent in the 1970s. And it's a chant... Um, asking the hula goddess Laka for inspiration and um, offering uh, her affection to Laka. Fantastic. Let's listen now. This is Voice Box and I'm Chloe Veltman. Tonight I'm with hula expert Patrick McCookani and we're talking about the art of hula vocals. We just heard an example of an early hula chant, Noho Ana Olaka Ika Uluwehi, performed by Mikey Au Lake. Now, Patrick, um, the track we just heard uh, is an example of a traditional chant that is only for voice. Yes. Um, but some chants were created to accompany the dance form of hula. How do dance and song typically interact in a classical hula? Well, when traditional hula you are accompanied with the chanter, there's a percussive instrument, a gourd or a drum, and that sets the beat. So the movement of the arms and the feet accompany the beat or in time to the beat and express the poetry. Okay. And there are specific moves that that, um, are meant to represent, I don't know, like waves or clouds or how? Yes. You know, because um, the movements of hula are derived from the natural elements. So waves, clouds, rain, wind, earth, fire, all of those are um, definitely used um, quite a bit in hula. And oftentimes they are allusions or metaphors that represent people, places and things. Okay. So, for example, I mean, I know you can't so, show yes, us the right. movements. So, for example, but. let's say a chant um, says something about um, the tingling rain which falls upon one's skin. That could be an allusion to lovemaking. Uh, okay. Because Hawaiians thought, in terms of lovemaking, they thought more um, of it being cool and tingly rather than hot and sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole different and quite refreshing look at right, it. Right, a very refreshing look. <laughs> So um, we're going to listen to a couple of tracks in a second that fall into the category of of chants that are danced to. Um, What can you tell us, Patrick, about the first track we're going to listen to, Hale Hale Ke Aloha? And what does the title mean for us? Yeah, well, Hale Hale Ke Aloha means love towers above Mm -hmm. at Haiku where this takes place. And this is actually an exit chant or a hoi. When presenting a collection of dances, there's a certain protocol that one follows with Mm -hmm. the presentation. So you have 
a kai or a dance that brings the dancers to the stage. Then you present your body of chants. Usually they start off with honoring the akua, the gods, and then the chiefs, and then the makainan, the general populace. And after you're done, there is a hoi or a dance where the dancers leave the stage. And this um, particular chant, kiave o ope or hale hale ke aloha, is to bring the dancers off the stage. And the second track we're going to hear, Talala Ahipa, is an example of mele. Yeah, yeah. Talala Ahipa, it is mele, mele hula, a song for hula. And this is an interesting chant that speaks about the prowess of a ram and compares a ram to the chief always hitting his mark. Oh, okay. Right. A very mm-hmm. potent and powerful exactly. song. <laughs> so um, when did singing come into play in hula rather than just the chanting? Well, singing is a 19th century development. Uh-huh. Um, and... I believe, you know, we can probably thank the missionaries Mm -hmm. who arrived in 1820 because they brought with them basically Western music theory. Mm -hmm. So because normally traditional Hawaiian chants, especially in Oli, they don't have a broad um, tonal range, just uh, um, a few notes per chant. Mm -hmm. But of course, with the influx of uh, missionaries and Western um, influence, we have a much broader range in which to express the musicality of the poetry. Okay. So um, the vocalist on this second track we're going to hear, which is uh, Kau Pena Wong, did I pronounce that? Yes, Kau Pena Wong, correct, Kaupena yes. Kau Wong um, is one of Hawaii's most acclaimed chanters. What qualities in his voice that we're going to hear make this voice so remarkable? Well, you, you listen to his wonderful vocal technique. He really has a command of his ee, that vibrato, and the, and the enunciation of the vowels. And the artistry of the chanter um, depends on how well he weaves the high and low of mm-hmm. the notes and how he assembles them all together to you make an interesting pattern and Kaupina is fantastic. He's great. All right. Well, well, we'll listen now for those fantastic qualities. Let's listen now to Hale Hale Ke Aloha performed by Lokalia Montgomery and then Kaupena Wong with uh, Talala Ahipa. Ai Hale Hale Ke Aloha I Haikue Hale Hale Ke Aloha I Haikue Ani Ani Mai Kona aloha, baluna mai o abiku. Ke popia ke kaya o kapea, kaya o o makamea aloha. Kona aloha kavala vala, onia na kamana wa mehe piala. No pu talala ana pe talala ahiu aioma kana lo aioma kene no pu talala ana pe talala ahiu aioma kana lo aioma kene a o wai ne u hakiko ke uina me ne e kalani ne ya o hakiko a olihipa A olihipa A olihipa This is Voicebox, and I'm Chloe Veltman. Tonight's show is devoted to exploring the ancient and diverse tradition of hula, which most people primarily consider to be a dance form, but we're looking at it from a vocal music perspective. With me in the studio is Patrick McCookani, the director of the San Francisco-based Hawaiian dance company Nalei Hulu i Kana Veikyu. 
We just heard two examples of traditional hula chants. The first was Hale Hale Ke Aloha, performed by Lokalia Montgomery, and the second was Talala Ahipa, performed by Koapena Wong. We're going to move away from purely vocal chants in a moment, but before we do, Patrick, can you maybe give us some roundup demonstrations of all the different main types of chants that exist in hula? Sure. Well, I'm going to, how about if I give you a few examples of oli, which are really not connected to hula, but just part of the same sort of um, idea. Sure. So there are love chants called ho ai ai, again, with those um, long protracted vowels at the end and recited with short phrases. For instance, um, this particular love chant that says... Um, and so on and so forth. <laughs> I love that chant, by the way. And then there's a Kepa Kepa chant. And Kepa Kepa chant is a style of chanting that utilizes a rapid delivery. And mm-hmm. it usually is associated with um, genealogical chants, chants uh, with uh, a lengthy recitation. And this chant is done without any sustained um, notes, so it's very staccato. Sort of like Grand Slam wow. poetry. That sounds like a tongue twister. <laughs> it is. And that speaks about the birth of the Hawaiian Islands, uh-huh. the genealogy of the Hawaiian Islands. Okay. Then there is a Kavele style of chanting, which is a more conversational mm-hmm. chant style of chanting. Um, this one is about the eight seas surrounding the Hawaiian Islands. And then another version is the Oli Oli, and we actually heard Auntie Mikey at the very beginning with he chant in that Oli Oli style, which is much lighter and joyful, and again with the prolonged vowels at the end of the phrases. Patrick, that was fantastic. Thank you for that whistle-stop tour <laughs> through all of those Oli chants. They're, they are, um, sound tremendous, and it sounds like you need a hell of a lot of scholarship, really, yeah. to wrap your head around all of that. I mean, how many years does it take somebody... Say I wanted to learn how to uh, become proficient uh, in in this art. I mean, how would I need 10 years? Would I? I mean, how would well, it... I say proficiency does require 10 years, and I actually went back in 2003. I was uh, fortunate enough to receive a fellowship that allowed me to continue my studies of traditional chant and dance. So I've been working with an esteemed teacher named Mekamamalu Klein for that long, and but I've been studying since I was, what, 13? Yeah. And I'm still studying. Okay, <laughs> well, it'll be a long journey for me then. You're listening to Voice Box with Chloe Veltman. This is KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. That was Nahale or Nawe, the Hala Trees of Nawe, performed by Mahi Bima. 
And this is Voicebox, Public Radio's weekly series all about the art of singing and the best of the vocal music scene from the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Chloe Veltman and I'm in the studio for this special exploration about the vocal side of Hawaiian hula with hula choreographer and vocalist Patrick Makuakani. Patrick, tell us about Mahi Bima, the vocalist we just heard on that track. I gather he comes from a distinguished line of hula performers. Yes, Uncle Mahi is from an esteemed family of hula practitioners and singers called the Beamer family. Um, and I was very fortunate. I know Uncle Mahi, and I've been to many of his shows uh, lounging by the piano <laughs> with a cocktail. And he's a wonderful falsetto singer and also a great hula dancer. So can you tell us about this tradition of men singing high in their registers in falsetto in, in Hawaiian music? Do you know how that came about and why they do that? There's a good chance that the falsetto singing came from um, Mexican vaqueros, Mexican cowboys who came to Hawaii in the 19th century to teach the Hawaiians basically how to be cowboys. Oh. Um, and so with them, they bought the guitar. Yes. And taught the Hawaiians how to play the guitar and the uh, falsetto style singing. So what, in your mind, what are the characteristics that define a great hula vocalist? Well, it's important that they have that vibrato, that sort of trill in the voice, and that earthy, gritty sound that is so much uh, a part of a traditional chanting. And as I mentioned earlier, it's sort of the, the ease of interweaving the high and low of the notes and developing a complex um, pattern while they're mm-hmm. chanting. Do you look for different things uh, in a woman versus a man when they're singing, or you, they're the same qualities required? They're the same qualities required by both. Um, Yes, and usually with women, oftentimes they fall into a higher range, but mm-hmm. I really appreciate those women who can keep it to a lower range. I have a dear friend, her name is Shauna Alapai, and she's a teacher here in Marin, and she's a fantastic chanter. She always gives me goose pimples when I listen to her. Because she sings low? She sings low. She has mm-hmm. a very beautiful voice and a, a beautiful, beautiful ee, a vibrato. She's very inspirational. Fantastic. So let's talk a bit about instruments, musical instruments. At what point did did instruments start to become a part of of hula along with singing and chanting and the drums that had been there for a while? Well, yes. So we segued from our percussive instruments such Mm -hmm. as drums and gourds and rattlers um, into the 19th century with uh, more musical instruments, guitars, ukuleles and bass and other string instruments and steel guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the music became more mellifluous, more melodic, um, using more of a Western 4-4 time mm-hmm. and the expression of the um, chanting or song. Um, so what we just heard, Nahala Onawe from Mahi Beamer, was an example of a traditional, traditional chant being modernized. Um, so it's great to see that you've brought a few <laughs> instruments with right. you to the studio. <laughs> and I think most, they're, they're all percussion instruments, right? They're all percussion instruments, correct. Do you want to show us I'm what you have I'm going to give there? you a brief example of each. So what I'm holding in my hand now, um, uh, this implement or instrument is called ili ili, or they're water-worn stones. Yeah, a bunch of pebbles. A bunch of pebbles, yes. Uh, people are very particular as to where they get their water-worn stones at a certain lake in Hawaii by a river or stream. I got mine from Home Depot in, <laughs> in the Mexican pebble section. Ole. <laughs> but anyway, so... Um, <laughs> Dancers or chanters would often accompany themselves by clicking the ili-ilis, which are similar to, you can think of them as Hawaiian castanets. So here's an example of a chant with ili-ili accompaniment. Thank you to my ili-ili. (laughs) <laughs> Good for Home Depot for producing such resonant stones. I know, stones. right? 
And now I have the feathered oh, wow. gourd rattler. This is amazing. I wish our listeners could see this. Is this absolutely beautiful? I guess yeah, it's a little gourd with it's a, a little gourd, right? With attached to a staff with a sort of round um, tightened fabric at the top, which, in which feathers are sewn upon. Tons and tons of little red feathers. Thousands and thousands of feathers. Wow, and they're all sewn by hand. Yes, that's a huge yeah. amount of work. <laughs> Definitely, each each feather required at least four stitches. Yep. Okay, well, give, right. us, you give us a uh, demonstration of this. Okay, this is a hula or a chant for the island of Kauai. Anani vale hui he, anala ala ikalunala ohala, ale ala ala noho ana ohoa, amanala ala ikavai huhau. All right, thank you, uli uli. <laughs> That's great. And now we have these and long tubes. Yes, these are pu'ili, and it's mm -hmm. a split bamboo. Right. This pu'ili, I'll be, what am I going to chant for this? I know. I'll do nokia no ahi ahi. was a chant for Chief Lunalino. All right. Okay, I'm going to have to use my shoulder, the table, and my hand. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Nokia no ahi ahi he aloha la. Ikahali ali a anamai. There you go. Right. Wow. That was really beautiful. So, what was happening then? Uh, so, you know, out there, listeners, is that that Patrick was tapping uh, the instrument against the table, against his shoulder, and against his hand. So, hopefully, you heard some slightly different resonances there. I think the strongest one was at the end when you thudded yes. the table. Right. Yeah. The shoulder and the hand sound kind of similar. <laughs> they do. So, it's more uh, for visual effect. Absolutely. Okay. So has hula always um, been a tradition that's been passed down orally or have the music and even the dance steps been written down or codified in some way? You know, Auntie Mikey, who I spoke about earlier, is considered the mother of um, Renaissance, the Hawaiian Renaissance, she started codifying hula and sort of being, bringing a scholastic element into the classroom, teaching um, people how to write down chants and the vocabulary and the definition. Because um, back then and even today, most people, even hula practitioners themselves, do not understand or speak Hawaiian. Mm. So translating the text so that they could understand it and express it appropriately was a big deal. But um, before that, um, usually hula was preserved from, fam from different families. Oh, okay. So it was passed on through the familial line. Okay, and today, I mean, you mentioned this, uh, the one, Mahi Bina's family? Right. Yeah, um... So there now are there quite a few prominent hula families still today? There are still uh, um, several prominent hula families today. The Kanaka Ole from the island of Hawaii, Beamers, and we're going to talk about the Zudermeisters mm -hmm. later, um, and uh, many others. Now let's get back to talking about the historical development just for a bit. Um, it seems like over time, from what you've told me, it's sort of gone in and out of fashion, and you talked about the Renaissance and so on, but. Um, the person who's credited with reviving the art form in the late 19th century, you say, is King David Kalakua. Yes, right. King David Kalakua, correct. And, and what can you tell us about the hula scene in Hawaii around the time of Kalakua's reign and what had made hula fall out of favor and how did the king revive it? Well, you know, let's see, the missionaries arrived in the 1820s and that's mm. when we can start to trace the downfall of the hula because uh. the missionaries considered it to be you know, lewd and lascivious uh -huh. and ranked it right up there with prostitution and alcohol. Wow. But by the time Kalakaua came upon the throne, 1874 to 1891, he 
um, was adamant in returning the hula to its proper place in the culture. Mm. So during his reign, it was like the golden years of hula, a definite resurgence of hula practitioners and chanters and even um, a variety of Hawaiian art forms. Okay. Well, let's listen now to a song written in honor of King David Kalakaua called Mai Ho'iu Iu. Correct. Okay. <laughs> what on earth does that title mean and what's the song about? Well, that's an interesting title. It means the lively genitals. <laughs> this is a part of uh, a collection of <laughs> chants called hula mai or chants that were dedicated to really the... Um, they were procreative chants. Uh-huh. Uh, and so the Hawaiians believed that the genitals contained uh, a great deal of mana or spiritual power mm-hmm. because they were connected to ancestors and expressed um, the importance of genealogy. And so these chants were written to, one, acknowledge their ancestors and to hopefully provide um, sustainability for future progeny. And so... Depending upon the rank of the chief, um, that would depend on how many chants were written about his genitals. And they were often given names. <laughs> and these names were mentioned in many songs. And for instance, Kalakaua's genitals were called halala, which means overly abundant. And they are sung and chanted um, in many hula schools today, including mine. <laughs> Goodness, you know, I, I don't know if I really should be asking you this on air, Patrick, but I have to know, do your genitals have names? <laughs> yes, and I'll keep that to myself. Okay, then. All right. Well, let's hear um, this this, uh, this song, Komai Ho'eu, performed by Na Palapalai. You're tuned into Voice Box with Chloe Veltman. Tonight we're exploring the development and vocal artistry involved in Hawaiian hula with master hula practitioner Patrick Makuakani. We just heard the group Na Palapalai's version of a traditional fertility chant, Komai Ho'eu'eu, written in the 19th century for King David Kalakwa, the man who is credited with reviving the art of hula after the missionaries had come in in the 1820s and decided it wasn't such a polite or godly (laughs) thing to do. Um, So the track we just heard is an example of traditional chant that has been reinterpreted for modern audiences. Is there some kind of tension in the world of hula, Patrick, between keeping things traditional and then sort of updating them to suit more contemporary tastes? There absolutely is. Mm. So like many cultures, we're trying to decide how do we perpetuate our traditional customs yet find room to evolve our traditional arts? So it's an ongoing um, challenge and debate for many people. And um, how contentious is it? I mean, are there sort of big public debates? So that Do people write articles, angry articles about things in newspapers? I mean, how does it play itself uh, out, this I, debate? You know, I mean, it's not... I, I think it might be a somewhat contentious in, in some areas of the community, but mm. it's not like a lot of people are writing to the editors of the newspaper. <laughs> Although I have seen a few articles here and there, and sometimes I am the subject of that dissertation. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, but yeah, people are really trying to figure out how they're going to evolve this art form to make it you know, resonant mm. for today's time while still taking care of those traditions. 
Okay, well, we're going to play excerpts from two contemporary versions of a traditional Hawaiian chant entitled Kawika now. We'll hear a version from 1971 by the Sunday Manoa and then a take on the chant by the Oakland-based hula master Mark Ho'omalu. I gather from you, Patrick, that the Sunday Manoa's version was pretty controversial when it first came out. Why was that? Yes, well, it incorporated all these different musical instruments expressing a traditional chant. So, for instance, I'm going to chant for you how Uh it was done traditionally. The oh, same yeah. song. So, yeah, go ahead. And you will hear in the subsequent recordings how it was manipulated. Voicebox, Public Radio's weekly series all about the art of singing. I'm Chloe Veltman and I'm in the studio for this special survey of the singing side of hula with the Hawaiian choreographer and vocalist Patrick Makuakani. We just heard two newer takes on a traditional hula chant, Kawika. The first was performed by the Sunday Manoa and the second by Mark Ho'umalu, who's based right here in the Bay Area. Patrick, what's the local community for hula like here in the Bay Area? Is it thriving? It is, believe it or not, thriving. There are a lot of people practicing hula in the Bay Area. Where they come from, I don't know. Actually, they come from Hawaii. There's a huge contingent of Hawaiians living in the Bay Area, probably the largest um, population of Hawaiians outside of Hawaii. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it stands to reason because we're... Right, the proximity. Relative, yeah, yes, the proximity. Yeah, okay. So how many um, people are in your company and in your school? So in my company, in the performance company, I have about 35, but in the school itself, over 300. Okay. Do you get a lot of people who aren't, who don't have a Hawaiian background? A lot. Some Something about Hawaii resonates with people who live sure. here in the Bay Area, right? And mm. they visit Hawaii often. And so they use hula as a vehicle, I guess, to establish that connection with Hawaii. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, why did you decide to start a company and a school here in the Bay Area? Well, um, I was a dancer for a very long time in Hawaii before I moved here. And I went to school. And in order to sort of supplement my income, uh, because I was a student, I started teaching a few classes here and there. And eventually, I just gave everything else up and began teaching hula full time. There was such a demand for it. Who Uh, knew? Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's a wonderful thing. I'm blessed. I feel so fortunate to be able to do this here. Can you tell me about some of the amazing performance projects you've been working on lately? 
Let's see. Well, one that I'm really excited about that's coming up for our home season in October is we're working with a gentleman named Puakea Nogomeyer, who's a Hawaiian linguist and scholar in Hawaii. And we're collaborating on a grant in which he will be, um, we're commissioning him to write a special suite of chants for San Francisco. So he sent me about five of them a few weeks ago, and they're stunning. So I'm very excited in, in putting the words to dance. Okay, so that's going to be in October. That's going to be in October 16th and 17th to 21st, 22nd, 23rd at the Palace of Fine Arts here in San Francisco. Fantastic. Well, hopefully a lot of people get along and buy their tickets yes. and, and go and enjoy that those performances. Tell me a bit about how you go about um, running your school, training people to, to sing hula chants and songs in particular. Well, um, we have beginning and intermediate classes, and uh, many of my students have been with me for... God, over 10 years now, and also a performing company. So I usually select members from the intermediate classes who have the talent and the longevity to be a part of the performing company. And we just, in the beginning intermediate classes, we train um, with traditional hula and chanting and history and language. And when one studies hula, you really have to study the Hawaiian culture in order to get uh, a good idea of what you're doing. Because otherwise, you know, it's it's not just a dance for many people. There's a strong sort of spiritual and emotional connection associated with the dance. So you learn philosophy, ideology, um, and many people really seem to have a very strong spiritual connection to what they're doing. And and also, there's a a beautiful sense of community in the halal or the hula school. You're tuned into Voice Box on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco, with Chloe Veltman. This episode of Voice Box devoted to hula singing and chanting with me, Chloe Veltman, and special guest Patrick Makuakani. We heard two songs by the great female hula composer and Hawaii's first female recording artist, Lena Machado. First up was the Keyhole Hula, a song about someone being invited to a home and only then finding themselves completely locked out. <laughs> and the second track was Eku'u Baby Hot Cha Cha. 
Lena Machado was born in 1903. Known as Hawaii Songbird, she was a composer, entertainer and an acclaimed singer whose Hawaiian-style soprano falsetto performances moved her to dominance in the 1930s and 40s. Patrick, what can you tell us about Machado's contribution to Hawaiian vocal music? Oh, first of all, I love Auntie Lena. She was just something else. Well, you know, it was really important because Antonina was uh, what I would call a quadruple threat. She was a <laughs> composer, a musician, uh, a singer, and a dancer. So when she composed music for hula, she really knew what she was doing. She incorporated all of those elements. And um, she has an interesting San Francisco connection. She and her musicians played at the 1939 World's Fair oh. for three years. They received a contract for three years and was voted favorite entertainers of the fair. So that's a big that's, deal. Yeah. yeah, a big accolade. Right, yeah. And so uh, all of her music that she composed, many of it is covered by today's young artists as well. So her legacy in Hawaiian music is you know, golden. So the tracks we heard just now signal a major development in Hawaiian vocal music into this more hybridized style. Right. And in particular, the influence of Latin music can be heard in the second track we played, yes. Eku Baby Hot Cha Cha. Right. It's right there in the title. Right. <laughs> so how common was it for Hula to start incorporating other musical traditions back in the mid 20th century? And how did it come about? Well, you know, it came about for Auntie Lena because she loved that Latin music. She was a fan of Xavier Cugat and Tito Puente. And so tried to incorporate that Hawaiian rumba beat with just one of her songs. Mm-hmm. She didn't do it for right. a lot. But other artists during her time were also sort of philandering with other musical genres. Um, but mostly they stayed within that sort of like generally Hawaiianized kind of sound, which involved a guitar, ukulele, steel guitar, and a bass. Okay. So um, when they did diverge further afield, um, did the, those kinds of other musical influence that came in, did it only affect the music that was being played or did it also affect hula from a dancing standpoint or was it always traditional hula steps that were done? Well, actually, mostly traditional hula steps, so although more modern steps were incorporated as well. During the mid-1900s when Hollywood came into the scene and started mm. producing all these movies and women oh. with undulating hips and cellophane skirts and hula sort of developed this sort of um, pro-sexy image um, <laughs> that helped to cultivate new steps and uh, a sort of new moves with hula dancing, which really wasn't traditional hula dancing anymore. Ah, okay. So as we can tell from the music of Lena Machado, the 20th century brought with it a new approach to hula. We're going to listen next to a trio of tracks that will provide more of a taste of how hula morphed from its traditional roots. First up will be Pua Ahihi, performed by the Kawaanu Lake Trio. Then we'll hear Rap Replinger with chanting. Finally, we'll hear Shores of Haleiwa, performed by Hoku Zutemeister. Darins, ball bearings. 
今年の抵抗持ちクランチパラマプハン。チキンはレンマカハスカマボコヘアカット。チキンはドブポハクロラムチュラトゥスティックス。スティマレットバガンラウハラメシノネ。コープティフィオ。アヒナレアオマニニカチャミラ。クルスカラカワイ。As the sun moves on the shore in Haleiwa, while my heart beats for one, I truly do adore. You're tuned into Voicebox. I'm Chloe Veltman. Tonight we're focusing on the art of hula chanting and singing with Patrick Makuakani, a Hawaiian dance and song expert based here in the Bay Area. We just heard three tracks which display some of the ways in which hula developed out of its traditional roots to incorporate a new sensibility in the 20th century. First up was Pua Ahihi, performed by the Kahuanu Lake Trio. And then we heard Rhett Replinger with the humorous song Chanting. And last, but by no means least, on the playlist was the idyllic Shores of Haleiwa, performed by Hoku Zutermeister. Patrick, what can we surmise about the direction in which hula music headed in the 20th century from listening to these tracks? Well, as you can hear, and there's a wide variety of expression with hula music. But still, the... Once again, the poetry is the main vehicle, the songs are the main vehicle in which tells the story, as in traditional dance, and the hula, again, just embellishes、um, these wonderful stories.、Uh, it's not supposed to、uh, become the main actor on the stage. You could say it's a, 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 a,、um, a best supporting actor, perhaps.、But、really, the, the story, the song is the main actor. Now, your work, Patrick, is grounded in the traditions and fundamentals of hula, and you try to keep traditions intact as they have been for generations. But at the same time, you've developed a unique style of hula called hula mua th- that uses modern music to provide a whole new dimension to the poetry of hula. What, first of all, what do the words hula mua mean, and what exactly is hula mua? Well, that's a great question. Mua is a Hawaiian word that can mean from the future. Or from the past. So、oh. for us, hula mua is taking something from the past and bringing it to the future. Okay. Hence, hula mua. So basically, hula mua,、um, the music that we use for hula mua is typically non Hawaiian music. So we use everything from electronic to pop, alternative, disco,、um, everything I can get my hands on, we use. <laughs> okay. All right. And, and why, why do you do this? What, what has made you go in this direction with your work? Well,、um, First of all, I love all kinds of music, not、yeah. just Hawaiian. My first love is Hawaiian, but I love all these other music、um, genres that I mentioned to you. And I think that hula is one of the most expressive, beautiful、um, forms of dance. So why not combine it to music that really moves me? And I don't want to limit myself to just Hawaiian music, so I opened that door a little further. <laughs> Fantastic. And how does what you're doing with, with Hula Mua fit in with other innovations that you're seeing in the contemporary Hula landscape? Well, I think people are still trying to find their voice in that, find their dance step,、uh, so、mm-hmm. to speak. And I suppose living here in San Francisco, away from all that、um, 
clutter in Hawaii, I've been able to find uh, my voice a little easier because uh-huh. I don't have anyone peering over my shoulder saying, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. I'm uh-huh. just, you know, doing what hopefully feels good with integrity and respect to my ancestors. <laughs> okay. Well, are there, do you know of any other people who are doing really innovative things yes. and what kind of things? Actually, Marco Omalu, we played his version yeah. of Kavika earlier. Mark is doing really great things from Oakland, and he's a, a quite a provocative and controversial figure in the hula world. So just his intonation with chanting and his sort of dynamic force with um, dancing in his company has really propelled him to the top of the field. So you've chosen a couple of contrasting tracks to help illustrate this new yes. style of hula that you practice. The first one we'll play in a second is Hana Aloha or Paper Moon, which uh, it comes from a show that you did recently, yes. Daughters of Haumea. Correct. And, and the song includes a, a club beat supplied by DJ Phil B. Yes. The second track, I must admit, I was surprised to find on your playlist, I Left My Heart in San Francisco by Tony Bennett, to which the only question that can be asked, Patrick, is why? Well, see, although I Left My Heart in San Francisco is a popular uh, American song, it really expresses Hawaiian sentiments um, in terms of honoring a special place. There are millions gazillions of Hawaiian songs and chant that speak about a place they dearly love, especially mm-hmm. their home. Well, San Francisco is now my home, so it only makes sense that I pick a song that commemorates uh, and shows my affection for the place in which we live. And it's very Hawaiian in, in, in that it mentions the natural elements such as the hills, the fogs, the blue and windy sea, and the sun. So it just seemed like a perfect fit for my company. And it is one of our signature dances. Ia kapiko he mea vai vai nui Nu nui loko ne he ano ino ke aloha O lala i ke kino i ka pākala Hela i tala i ta ua o tuahine O tuahine i ka uhi vai o mānoa Mānoa noa i ka uga o ka ipolawa e Ku ipo hinano, ku ipo ke aumoe Ai I left my heart in San Francisco. High on a hill. It calls to me to be where little cable comes. This is Voice Box with Chloe Veltman. We just listened to a pair of tracks which my special guest, Hula aficionado Patrick Makuakani, choreographs dances to. The first was Hana Aloha or Paper Moon, which comes from a recent production that uh, his company did called Daughters of Haumea. And the song includes dance club beats supplied by DJ Phil B. And the second track, perhaps not of uh, an obvious one for a, a hula ensemble to dance to uh, was I Left My Heart in San Francisco, of course, by Tony Bennett. 
The song has become something of a signature hula for Patrick's dance company based here in San Francisco. Patrick, what does the future look like for hula, specifically as it relates to singing? Do you see Tony Bennett and other vocal artists who have nothing to do with traditional hula as playing an increasingly important role in the development of the art form? Well, funny you should ask, Chloe. Just recently, one of our other signature hulas is danced to Roberta Flax, the first time ever I saw your face. Ah. And we performed it with her in February when she was here in San Francisco for a performance. Oh my goodness, okay. So I don't know how much of an influence people like Roberta Flack and Tony Bennett will have over hula music, probably not very much, but there are a lot of young Hawaiian artists who are developing their music and, and furthering Hawaiian music into the world music scene, and I think music for hula is in safe, thriving hands. Well, that's all we have time for tonight, sadly, and I'm glad to have ended on such a resoundingly positive <laughs> note. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my special guest, Patrick McCurkani, for coming into the studio tonight to chat about hula. Thank you, Patrick. Oh, a big mahalo nui to you, Chloe. To find out more about Patrick's hula organization based here in the Bay Area, please visit naleihulu.org, and that is spelled N-A-L-E-I-H-U-L-U.org. Voicebox is an independently produced non-profit project recorded at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. The series producer is Seth Samuel, the web editor is Victoria Lim, and the membership and development director is John Bischoff. Voicebox needs your support. To find out how you can make a crucial tax-deductible donation to keep us on the air, please visit our website at voicebox-media.org. Donating is safe, easy and tax-deductible through our online PayPal link. Check out our free weekly podcasts on iTunes and via voicebox-media.org and also visit our homepage at voicebox-media.org to mull over and respond to the question of the week. Please friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter too, and you can write to us anytime at info at voicebox-media.org. Call us also with your comments and questions. Our number is 415-841-4121, extension 3515. Once again, that's 415-841-4121, extension 3515. Music history and culture is full of famous singing families, from the Fon Traps to the Jackson Five. On next week's edition of Voicebox, join singing siblings Jennifer and Laurie Hall of the band Ruby Howell and me, Chloe Veltman, for a discussion about the power of sharing the mic with the people you grew up with. The three of us will be here next Friday from 10 to 11pm. Please join us. So, tonight's special guest now, Patrick McCuacani, will play us out with another beautiful live performance of a song from his hula tradition. Now, I'm going to attempt to pronounce this. Um, it's a special song that uh, involves the word kapalakiko, which is the word in Hawaiian for San Francisco, right? Yes, it is. Yep, kapalakiko, correct. Okay, so this is Patrick McCuacani with Mala Mala Ma O Kapalakiko. Just a little background. It's this uh, Mala Mala Ma O Kapalakiko was written by Puakea Nogomayer as a collection of chants honoring San Francisco. And this is just one little verse which says, Renowned is San Francisco, the um, wondrous beauty of this land, attracting all of the very finest, its brilliance gleams and shines. Well, yeah. I can't think of a better way to end the show. All that remains <laughs> for me just to say one thing, and that's have a songful week. <laughs> Ume ume mai anai kalai ula ha be o be o mai mal mal ma ino ano kapalakiko wa mal malama